Hi, this is Mark. Hello, this is Matt. And welcome to our podcast, Lessons from the Field, where we talk with staff members from the Austin Independent School District about teaching and learning in our community. Our discussions focus on distance learning and how it impacts teachers and students. Well, here we are at another episode of Lessons from the Field with Mark and Matt. Our next guest is a high school math teacher and instructional coach. Eric, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, my name is Eric Ortman. I am the math department chair and instructional coach at Crockett High School. And in addition to that work, I also teach Algebra 1 to mostly ninth graders. And then I also coach our JV girls soccer team. Last year was actually my first year at Crockett. Prior to that, I was a middle school person. And so high school, That I mean, there was a lot about this past year that's been kind of a change for me in terms of just like work. Like, I think that was a big change was just moving from middle school to high school. Was the middle school here in Austin? Yeah. So I kind of had worked all over Austin. My starting point was I was a math tutor at Webb Middle School. That was like my very first year of education. And I was just like a push-in tutor. And then on the days I wasn't tutoring, I was subbing. And then that job turned into, so it was the year that, I guess it was like 10 years ago, there was like a budget issue and they had to do basically like a, a riff. So teachers mm-hmm. were kind of moved around and there wasn't a lot of jobs open. And so I was hoping that the tutoring job would turn into a teaching job. And they were like, hey, if you're really good at this and you work really hard, like we might, you'd have a good shot at being a teacher. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And so it took all the way until the end of summer, basically. And it was like the week that teachers were going back, I got a call that said, do you have a special ed certification? And I was like, no, but I can try to get one. <laughs> So I just, I scheduled a test and studied and uh, I think I found out, I took the test on a Wednesday, I got my results on a Friday and I was teaching on a Monday. Oh my gosh. So I was a special ed inclusion math teacher for three years at Webb, did eighth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade. And then after that, I was the instructional coach there for one year. And basically just like, I, I felt like I'd missed out on not being a gen ed teacher just like having my own class and not having to compromise and just like being on my own, right? Like with 30 kids. Um, And so I used that and like just off of that idea, I ended up finding a job at Ann Richards. So I moved to Ann Richards and was there for three years as a sixth grade math teacher, mostly sixth grade and coached soccer there. And then um, I spent the year before Martin, I was an instructional coach, or excuse me, the year before I moved to Crockett, I was at Martin as an instructional coach. Okay. Um, Again, so kind of circling back to some of that work that I was starting to do at Web, and just kind of felt like, I don't know, like I wanted to explore the gen ed world and then kind of come back to that coaching world. So Excellent. I, are you a native Austinite or Texan? I would say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, so I'm not a native Austinite. I moved to Houston when I was five. Okay. With my family. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty significant amount of time. So I'd call myself a Texan. Right on, Eric. That's awesome. I appreciate that. And so that, that's such a really cool story of how you began your career and kind of evolved. And that's 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 awesome. Um, so to kind of get us started in our conversation today, I know you had briefly mentioned about, you know, that transition from a middle school teacher to a high school teacher. And then we've had a very weird 2019-2020 school year. Um, so I'm wondering if you can kind of just elaborate on um, how your school year ended and kind of just um, take us uh, on that journey from there. It was really strange just in the sense that like our, so for me personally, um, soccer season ended like spring break. So it was like uh, that grind of coaching two games a week and then teaching and instructional coaching. And then I'm also a parent. So <laughs> Uh, my daughter just turned two. So first daughter, 
understanding how to be a good parent and figuring that out as you go. It was like, there was kind of this big like moment of like, oh, I can breathe, you know, like it's spring break. We made it through the season. Uh, we're going to come back. We have start to get ready for. Um, we have to start thinking about like classes kids are going to take next year. So there's all this work that was happening in terms of like, so for my own kids, it was getting them to through algebra one. For my teachers, it was getting them through their year, uh, starting to think about what next year would look like and helping their students plan for that. Honestly, with like this whole COVID-19 thing, it was something that I remember like we had lunch, I think it was that Thursday or Friday, and we were talking about it as teachers, but it just, it didn't seem like a thing that was just going to fundamentally change our world. Mm -hmm. um, it was just like this relief of getting to this point where I felt like, oh, I can just focus on being a teacher, an instructional coach, and a dad now, like the soccer's done. And so I was really looking forward to that. And then that week was kind of uncertain, I guess, because did we, I don't even remember, did we come back on that Friday? No, we did not. And so yeah. we we had left for the day on March 12th. And then the decision was made very early on that Friday morning, March 13th, that we would not be returning to campus. I mean, I know you had mentioned, you know, soccer season's done and, you know, that's kind of off your plate. But like, if you can kind of just talk to our audience a little bit about what was that transition like from, you know, moving to a face-to-face -face environment to an online environment? And how did you kind of handle that as both a math teacher and an instructional coach? I think with most things in my job, like, I think about how is this going to affect my own students? And then how is it going to affect my teachers? They're kind of like weighted equally to me. So it's just looking out for all of them the same. Um, and so... I think it's an instructional coach and just like, you know, I kind of think of all of the work is kind of similar in terms of I'm just, I'm leading people. And so it was like in this position of leadership, what do my kids need to hear? What do my teachers need to hear? And what's the message that we need to put out? So thinking about, I guess, first, like I was kind of go with my own kids first. And that's something I'm really grateful for at Crockett is just like, because I'm an instructional coach who also teaches, it's like my practice is evolving as well. So I feel like when I go back and work with my teachers, I have things to share with them and it's relatable to what they're experiencing. Um, so I think I'm a better instructional coach because of the fact that I'm just constantly teaching. So I guess my first thought was just what message do I want my kids to hear? And one of the first things I did was I just put out like a video message to my kids just because I thought like I want you to see my face and I'm going to smile and I'm going to tell you that I kind of don't know what's going on and we'll figure it out together. Um, so I guess it was more of like an SEL driven message out to them and then I've turned around and basically did the same thing with my team just made kind of like a fun, more fun video for them um, just to say like hey I hope y'all are well and what is going on just because like at some point we needed to start that conversation as a team of what is this learning going to look like for our kids and so I think just that let's acknowledge what's going on and then let's figure out what this work might look like and what are y'all thinking about and what do you guys care about right now yeah I think something that definitely drives my teaching is just like this idea of equality like we're all the same right like all teachers all students we're all just humans and figuring it out and so you want to show that to the kids in the process of like we're encountering something right now that's affecting everybody so let's start by thinking about that a little bit but maybe not going into those thoughts too deeply because we are you know at some point too we're just math teachers mm -hmm. so i think because of that we i don't know like i didn't want to just jump in and start doing covid lessons like what is COVID? And, you know, at some point, like I think what we're doing is meant to be like familiar and it's routine and it's a little bit of an escape, right? From the strangeness of the world. Like it's the comfort of, Hey, this is still kind of just like math class and we can just learn about math. Yeah, no, that's great. And it kind of like, I'm just curious, what were kind of your first steps that you took in, you know, the beginning of us moving to this online environment? I mean, cause I know, you know, the district put out that website, which is great, but 
you know, that kind of only took us so far. So I'm kind of just wondering, what was your planning process throughout that time? I, as an instructional coach, I'm a part of our academic leadership team. And so I knew that there was a lot of conversations going on there about what was school going to look like at Crockett. And I knew that that was being determined off of what was going on district-wide. So it was like, there's a district plan. Okay, let's see what our leadership does with that. And then that'll determine what our math plan is going to be. And so one of the decisions that was made pretty early on, like as soon as it could have been made, was we basically came up with a schedule at Crockett for what students would be doing and what teachers would be doing and sort of just trying to have a structure for the week um, that replicated school um, or like the version of school that we were doing before. As a part of that, we had basically like structured PLC time for our big PLC. So we have in math, we have an algebra one PLC, a geometry PLC, algebra two, and then we have what we call like a singletons PLC, which is just anybody who's teaching something on their own. And so those four places kind of served as a place for me to have small group conversations and figure out what people were thinking about and how they wanted their work to look and evolve from what we were doing before. And then we also had like a math department meeting, which was more of just like a place for us to communicate and answer questions and talk in a smaller group than, you know, the 200 people that work at our school. So with those conversations, it was basically like starting that process of figuring out like, what do we want kids to see when they log into Blend? What type of things are they going to be doing when we Zoom together? And then we started there. And then because we had that week of buffer time, I was able to kind of take what I heard from all the teams and then go back and we could kind of figure it out as a department and then revisit again as a PLC. So all the PLCs like were doing similar things, but there was room to kind of make it your own, just kind of like we would do with a normal classroom. And then I guess like in addition to that, something I really liked about this change was there was time then for teachers to basically, we're going to meet in PLC and then they're going to break off. And at some point during the week, they're just going to talk and like basically plan together when they need to. So there was a lot of like informal collaboration where it was like jumping on a Zoom call at three o'clock in the afternoon because my like kid can go hang out with mom for a second. And then it's like, okay, let's talk algebra two. What are y'all thinking? And so it was like, there was so much time and flexibility in being able to meet and just talk about our work, right? In ways that it's almost harder to do when you're working face-to-face, right? Because we have things that are tying us to be certain places. So I think that that, I guess, to kind of summarize, because I just sort of talk, I, I think like it was step one was figuring out like, what is this going to look like? What do we want to do with kids? What do they need from us right now? How does that affect choices we make in terms of content? Um, and so then from there, having that working idea in our head, I think the next step was figuring out how are we going to basically streamline the content? Because just the reality of if we don't have kids in class two to three times a week, face-to-face for 90 minutes, things are going to change. We can't teach the same ways. So it was get the content down. And then I think step three was figuring out, okay, now that we know what our targets are, what does a good online lesson look like for this? And then that was kind of, once we got to that point, that was almost like our point of stability. And we could kind of get a routine about like, let's start planning lessons and have conversations about what looks good and how we can make things better. I like that structure of those PLCs because a lot of times it's, there's not necessarily the work being done driven together, you know, as a team. And so I I like how the way you described it, focusing on the kids and what we can do to to make it easier for them. If you could focus on just on the teaching side of things for a little while, some of the challenges that maybe you encountered with the students when you were still trying to deliver those essential standards, what they needed to learn, different, different things like that for us. Well, so one thing that was specific to math, we use graphing calculators for all of our grade levels. And for the most part like well in algebra one for sure geometry it's not as big but algebra two pre-cal like those tools really inform how we teach like steps to solving and so knowing that those were not available at home and 
the idea of passing those out didn't really seem like feasible. So that was an initial thought was just how does this change how we're going to teach certain ideas that we've been teaching certain ways over years and evolving, you know, and so right away that was not an option. And so we started looking at different apps and different websites that we could use to sort of replace those tools. But then also it forced us to think about like, if they don't have a calculator for this and they can't see it, what are some other ways they're going to need to think about these problem scenarios? In that way, I guess like we needed to, I mean, I think for Algebra 1, for example, like we use Desmos as a tool to replace the graphing calculator, which like that's already something that we kind of do in class. We kind of use the both hand in hand and give kids options. But then in terms of solving problems, like I think we were forced to think a little bit more about like, how can you think about things visually and see things and play with things? So some of the teaching became sort of more like, we're going to give you a chance to play with this and see it and we'll stop and we'll do some kind of video or something that's going to maybe replicate some of the things we would get in the class. Because I, I will say like, just thinking about our kids, and I would say this is true of like probably anywhere I've taught, like the kids find certain like comfort in like, okay, I'm going to show you how to do something now. And you can stop me if you get, you don't understand something and you can say, hey, explain this part again. And that's a real challenge when you're just like, I'm recording something I'm trying to anticipate what kids might get stuck on, but they can't stop me. You know, that gift of, hey, I don't get it. And it's because you, this part was weird. Oh, okay. Let me try that again. And so without that stopping, that was sort of a change. I'm just curious though. Can you, the tool you said that replaced graphing calculators? Yeah. I'm, and maybe it's just because I don't have the math background and the last time I did yeah. math was in a long time ago. Um, so graphing calculator, here, I'll just, I'll do the whole spiel. Graphing calculators were something that like you just needed. Like once you got to, I think for us, right? Like when you got to algebra one, it was like, you need a graphing calculator now. And your parents would go out and get you a graphing calculator because it was on the list of things to buy for the eighth grade school year or the ninth grade school year. And those things have always been, I think, 80 bucks or 90 bucks. And so I guess it would have been like my first year at Ann Richards, just kind of like when, you know, there I was on my own and I had like people to collaborate with, but they know there was no other sixth grade math teacher. So it was kind of like, okay, I know what we did at web as far as like structuring a year and trying to like teach teaks, you know, but also there's this room to play with things. And I found this website Desmos, which it was basically this app website that was developed by former math teachers who thought it was crazy that kids needed to buy a graphing calculator in order to do high school math. And so they created like a essentially like a free alternative that you could download on your phone. And it doesn't necessarily function the same way. Like there are apps that look a lot like graphing calculators that when you open the app, it just it's the same thing that we've seen before. With Desmos, it tends to be more you can manipulate things and play with things and use sliders and shift graphs in ways that you couldn't do on a graphing calculator. Like you'd have to go change the slope, right? Like manually versus like on Desmos, you can actually just move a slider and it changes the slope and you can see how that changes the line. Okay. And so we were already kind of using that as we discovered and talked about, let's say like an algebra one, right? We were talking about slope for the first time. And we know that kids have a background on that for middle school, but do they really understand what it is and how it affects the visual? And so we kind of started to lean on that more because we can't sit down or we didn't assume that most kids would have graphing paper at home with the pencil and like they're ready to go and just follow the video and graph on their own paper. But if I could put up a video and I could screencast, I could show them how I'm using the different tools online and then they could do the same. And then it was like, okay, now we can give an activity that's basically take what I just did online. You replicate similar things and then we come back and I can put in another video that shows you like step two. So the, the cool thing, I guess I'll just add to with Desmos, there's the app part of it that's just meant to replicate like graphing in different, you know, calculation functions. The other side of it is there's an ability to 
create lessons using the app that also, so there's, you can create your own lessons and then there's also uh, like pre-made lessons by the Desmos people that are arranged by content. So like Algebra 1 has lessons, Algebra 2 has lessons and it's stuff that Algebra 2, I may be teaching something that is more, be more pre-cal. So you can kind of search and find things that fit what you're teaching, but those tend to be more like game oriented. They're just, they're doing things like design wise that maybe a teacher just trying to figure something out wouldn't be able to do in a reasonable amount of time. Oh yeah. Desmos is a really great product. Uh, I have a little bit of experience with it, but Eric, do you know, is that K-12 on, on that app? Yeah. So I was using it as early as sixth grade and I felt like the things that were on there were appropriate for sixth graders. Cause that was kind of like, to me, sixth grade math is sort of the foundation for what kids start doing in algebra. That's mm-hmm. that big shift. So I found it to be very appropriate for sixth grade. I couldn't speak to like how appropriate it would be for elementary, but I think that depending on the kid, it could be a lot of fun and an opportunity to just sort of like branch out from what they would normally see in school and start seeing some things that are maybe able to be learned, but wouldn't necessarily be taught at a younger age. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, that, that completely makes sense. Um, so as I'm listening to you speak today, I'm just wondering, so I know you had talked a little bit about challenges and kind of the way I, I think of challenges is that it's something that is kind of in front of you, right? And then you figure out, okay, this is what I'm dealing with at the moment. And then you overcome those challenges. And so I'm wondering if you can just share with our audience, what new discoveries did did you have as you were taking your students or your teachers or maybe even your parents through this whole shift of online learning? I think one thing that we benefited from as we were shifting and start and trying to piece together what we thought like an online curriculum looked like, um, there was a lot of like parent contact that we were doing. And so there was just a lot of like talking to people on the phone and emailing and getting feedback about like, tell me what's going on. How is this being received by your child? And through that, we realized within our math team that like there was quite a bit of variance from content to content. So like the math blend pages tended to look a little bit different than the English blend pages. And just thinking about a student logging in and saying, okay, like on our end, it's easy to say, you're going to log in to your teacher's blend page. And you should be familiar with that because most teachers were using it already, right? To varying degrees. And so you just continue to do what you do on blend in class, but now you're at home and you're doing it. And one little hiccup there was we, I used blend in a very specific way in my classroom, but it was always like there was an, there was an, a face-to-face component to support the students. So with that being taken away and blend is the only place we're going. And not only that, but you're doing that for all eight of your classes. Just if I go to one page and it's organized this way, and I go to another teacher's page and it's organized this way, and I'm being told I need to focus on my current learning, but then I have an opportunity to go back and fix things. Like just those little differences mean a lot to kids, right? Like that that's an epiphany that I had years ago. It was just like, I'm just one eighth of a kid's schedule. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's some, some of this is like a parent thing too. Like, you know, like that switch that flips and you're like, oh, I'm not just a teacher anymore. I'm a parent. And now I kind of understand what parents would want from me as the teacher. And so I think I heard a lot of frustration with just like, I'm trying to support my kid, but I don't know how, because even I can't figure out what to look for. Mm-hmm. And so what that did for us within our math team, and then I was kind of taking this back to our leadership team too, was just when we go to the blend page, because that's like our hub, what do kids see? Is it just that, you know, that basic when you log in, there's just a list of all the modules and it's like, it makes sense to the teacher, but to a kid, it can seem overwhelming. You know, it can look like here's 50 things to do. And the teacher's like, no, do these three. And it's like, but it doesn't, that's not conveyed. And it was actually, this was through just talking to other friends like that work at different campuses. But we started like, we were doing like a weekly, just like get together with friends on Zoom. And it was like, hey, how's your blend page look? And we were showing each other our blend pages. And 
this isn't like nine o'clock when our kids are asleep. <laughs> but uh, it was like one one friend had buttons. Like he just had some like buttons that he had made. And it was like, here's the homepage. And it looked like a website. And so then literally like the rest of us ran off and like started working our blind pages. So when we came back and met the next week, it was like, hey, I got buttons now too. Like we were all proud of it. And then we were bringing it back to like, one of my friends is at Crockett as well. And we were like going back to the math team, like, hey, check out this page we made. And like, we're just so proud of our little websites. Buttons are awesome in blend. They can change the course. Yeah. But, you know, it's the same thing like that you would think about with your classroom, right? You're, you're setting up a classroom environment. And so my whole thing always was like, I want kids to come into my room and feel something that's a little bit different, right? It's math. So there's already, like you say that word and there's anxiety attached to it because I, I'm associating it with my abilities in math and my experiences in math the years prior because everything, you know, builds. And so it's like, I always wanted kids to come in my classroom and feel an environment that's like welcoming. So it was like, we always had like low lights and just, it was a calm. I tried to make it smell nice, which... In middle school can be hard, but I wanted as much as I could my blend page to just be something that feels like me, right? This is my classroom. So I wanted it to look nice. I wanted them to see things that would remind them of our class. And so that was something that, you know, across the department, we really started to focus on after the first couple of weeks was just like making sure that that thing that kids saw was easy to understand. You could find what you needed and it was welcoming, I guess, to kids. Um, we wouldn't have gotten that if it hadn't been through conversations with each other and then seeing what other people were doing, but then also talking to parents and just hearing like some of that frustration. And, you know, we have teachers too that are parents. So they were kind of able to share things that worked really well with their kids. Like, hey, my kid's teacher at Bailey was doing this. We should try to do this. And it was like, cool, let's do it. And we just, there were no bad ideas, right? It was, everything was worth trying out. That collaboration is um, important. I'm glad to hear that. And just working together and listening. That's very important in these times. Eric, I'm going to ask you one more question and then we'll we'll go off script a tiny little bit here towards the end. So I know, I mean, I've gotten to know you over the past few years. Were you a tip facilitator for yes. us previously? Okay. So I, I thought that's, I think that's where I first met you back in Ann Richards years ago. So you've worked with our new hires before, and I know you're thinking about the teachers you coach coming up in August and everything. We know we're starting class August 18th. We don't know exactly at this point, at the end of June, what that's going to look like. And so I'm wondering what sort of advice you might share, what maybe you're reflecting on to help prepare yourself for what could be happening. You know, that that sort of meta <laughs> concept, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. I, so I can tell you the things that I'm thinking about for myself. And then again, that would be the thing that I do with my teachers. Perfect. Um, we, I guess when you think about like new teachers, it's always like we think about starting points. Where do you start your year? What do you start working on and trying to improve at as a teacher, right? Because you can't do it all. And then for teachers that have been teaching for a little bit, it's always like you still kind of focus on one thing at a time. So like, what's one thing I can add to my practice this year? I think the challenge right now is we basically just changed the whole model of how we're delivering instruction. And so the things we were good at before, we're trying to figure out what would that look like now in this new setting. I think that for me, like the ability to sort of calm kids down about math, like you come into the classroom and we're going to learn things a little bit differently. We're going to talk about things and communicate. And that's going to be something that supports you as you learn thinking about what that's going to look like. So I guess there, there's two components to that. There's how are we going to build relationships with students when they can only see our eyes or, you know, I'm assuming... <laughs> 
if we're face to face, right, we're probably gonna be in masks. And we just, we just did the graduation walk and it was really noticeable. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's happening for like two thirds of the person's face. And it's really strange because you start listening to like tone because you're just hearing a voice, but you're seeing nothing move. And I was thinking like, okay, if I have 30, I'm going to teach freshmen next year. I have 30 brand new kids looking at my face or a third of my face. How are they going to see me express myself in ways that will be like, oh, he's a nice, warm person, you know, because I'm still talking about like Y equals MX plus B and... (laughs) You know, I can say Y equals MX plus B, but it still doesn't, uh, I don't know, convey everything I want to convey in those moments because I have my face to use. So I think it's really important, one, that you look for opportunities to show your personality and show your humanness to kids. And so if we can't do that face to face, then I know there's ways like when you're recording like a video of instruction, you can put your face there. So you're just like this floating head on the screen and kids can see that you're a real person. I know that's only going one way because they're, so I think then the challenge would become then getting to know your kids in this environment is going to be a real challenge. But I think for new teachers, any teacher, I think that is a good starting point to think about is just how are you being received as a person? And then vice versa, like how are you getting to know who your kids are with this separation? So that would be, I think a starting point is just that human aspect of things. Like we talk about, you know, teaching is built on relationships. So how do you develop relationships in this new way of teaching? I mean, I guess there is an academic thing that I'm wondering about as well. I can talk about that. So academically, this kind of goes back to, so we went on that formative assessment trip, Mark, and the way that that work manifested itself in my classroom over the course of the year was like, I really want kids being given opportunities to communicate with each other and collaborate. And the feedback that they're giving me just like every minute is so crucial. And so thinking about like that formative instruction, just like how are we constantly assessing what kids know and how does that inform the adjustments we make as a teacher when we're doing asynchronous learning and it's sort of start, stop, start, start, stop and kids are learning how to use their communication tools in a more effective way. I just wonder about how we're going to really get into kids' brains and use that sort of feedback to inform how we adjust the learning in this new way of teaching. It could be real powerful. I mean, yeah, the students owning their learning, they're doing it, you know, at home and they're demonstrating that they've, whatever their goals are. Yeah. I mean, it could be real powerful. Don't know exactly what it'll look like, like what you were saying, but for sure. And I think even too, just like... I remember reading an article, I think it was like two years ago, that was just talking about there was a period where we were really eager to like dive into using computers more, right? Like using our online tools to enrich the learning. And then it almost like veered too far in that direction to where it was like a kid could come in and just be given a computer and they're like, here, log on. The videos are online. You know, the class could essentially be 100% computer based. And then the wondering is, well, what's the teacher's value in that situation? If, they, if the kids can access everything, if they can go watch a Khan Academy video, right, and they can do the work and they can accelerate through the curriculum that way, like, why do we need a teacher? And the argument was, well, the real value of us is like that face-to-face, that encouragement we provide, right? Like the adjustments we make where it's like, oh, you don't understand something right now? Let's address that right now. And then that coupled with just the like, hey, you're a really smart kid or hey, I got stuck on that too. Like those little things that you do to support children. I, I just wonder if, you know, if we're typing those things or we're saying those things on a screen, does it have the same effect? And it's just something we need to figure out. Well, thanks, Eric. I've really enjoyed listening to you this morning and engaging in conversation. Really appreciate it. So I don't want you to think too hard about these next questions. First thing that pops in your head. So when we know it is 100% safe and stay at home order and masks are no longer needed. In many ways, that can be like a deep question. <laughs> 
Yes. I think like, I will say this, this experience, you know, I don't think you can totally detach the work from your experience personally, right? Because you're doing the work at home. And so it's like my kid now is just a part of my job. And my wife's job is a part of my job, you know, because it's all happening in the same place. So I think like once we're in the clear and we're able to go back and resume some version of a normal teaching experience, I think I will just look, I look forward to the human interactions. Like I'm going to run to the bench that sits across from my classroom where the teacher's just hang out at the end of the day and just talk about life, you know, or like my doors are going to be open and my soccer kids are going to be having lunch, you know, and I'm just like, I just want to be around that human piece. I think that's the thing that honestly, like most of my teaching friends miss is just, we got into this for the people for the kids like we miss that quirkiness of children sure. figuring out who they are sure. and so I think once we're in the clear it's like I will get in my car drop my kid off at daycare and just be so excited that she'll be at school with her friends and I'm gonna like happily drive to Crockett and just like go in and say hi to everybody in the building and then you know start in the front office and just kind of move through and then just go set up my room and just like when kids come in you know it's just like hey how's it going like I don't know yeah. if I'll ever high five again but <laughs> Still got the elbows, but anyway, no, that's awesome, awesome, Eric. Okay, next question. What's your favorite Austin restaurant? That's a deep question. That's a deep question. It would have to be some kind of like Mexican food just because I, it's something tacos. I'm going to go with, so Julio's Cafe. Julio's, yeah. Up in Hyde Park. Um, my wife and I lived there for a year in this little tiny one room house and we could walk to Julio's from our house. And so that was 10 years ago. And what's been really neat is just like, it's a, I mean, I love it. It's just like simple. The food's delicious and fresh and the people are so nice. Um, it's like a family run business. And so like just seeing that family and then as our own family kind of grows, like I remember like bringing our daughter in and they were like, Hey, look at you guys. You got a kid, you know, like it was just this thing. And so like when this whole shutdown happened and it was like, you know, we still want to go out or support the businesses that we were supporting before. And it was like, Julio's, we got to go get takeout from Julio's. And it's just like, we went there and I picked up the food, we had our masks on, but then we had this nice little like sweet moment with me and the owner just like, Hey, nice. this is crazy, right? Nice. And I think that's the thing that I miss is just that like warmth of like going to a place that you've been going to forever and eating food. Yes. But also just like being there. So then this, this may lead into my final question then. Your favorite place to get tacos in Austin. Ooh. It's even deeper. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> is this supposed to be like a... I'm just trying to, we're trying to learn new restaurants and people... You know, I'm going to give a shout out to a place. So I've always been a fan of like everything along like Cesar Chavez. Okay. So like one in a million was one of the first places that I ever went to. Yeah. When I visited Austin and then... Uh, it's a place now that like a friend and I will go there like once a month for breakfast. Okay. So I love that. But then down the street from there at Cesar Chavez and Pleasant Valley, there's this little truck called Taco Guerrero. Okay. And it's a little orange food truck. And it's this like grandma that makes tacos. And she's just using the like Hill Country Fair ingredients. And you've never experienced those ingredients come to life in this way. Like it's just so good. That's awesome. That's my plug. Taco Guerrero. Cesar Chavez in Pleasant Valley. That's awesome, Eric. We appreciate you sharing all that. So to close our podcast for today, one of the things that we always try to do is just offer some really you know, in- inspiring words for our audience. And so you can kind of take this from the vantage point of you being a teacher or an instructional coach or maybe even a parent. And so what piece of advice or what kind of encouraging words would you want to leave our audience with for today? So with all the changes, I think that at like the core of our work, it's still 
we're still trying to do the same things. And so like my guiding words, I, I try to like, you know, think about how I'm intentionally involving my practice from year to year, right? So it's like you get to the end of the year, you reflect and you think about, okay, what am I trying to do next year? And just like those little changes that you make from year to year, I think are really important. But I've been stuck on two things like the last few years. And the first is connection. So how do we connect with each other? How do we connect with our students? Acknowledging that we're all connected. So like going back to what I had said earlier about, you know, I'm just one eighth of a kid's schedule. So then what that other seven eighths looks like, it really is important. And I need to figure out how do we build power in those eight eighths. And so whether I'm a teacher leader, whether I'm a teacher working with kids at whatever level you're at, I think that that connection to each other, every single person, it's, you know, it's, we're moving together in a forward direction, hopefully, because we're all connected, right? We share outcomes. So I think that that is an important place to start. And then I think once we're in our own individual responsibilities, I think just having real clear intent about what you're trying to do. So like intention in your work. And so as we think about putting up a blend page and building something off of that, like blends kind of our foundation, right? For the learning, like just being really clear in terms of like, what do you want kids to do right now? How are they learning? How are you, you know, building relationships with them? How are they understanding who you are? Like just having a real like clarity about that as best you can in your work. I think that that remains like one of the most crucial things you can do. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Please be sure to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and SoundCloud. These podcasts are produced by the Professional Learning Department of the Austin Independent School District. Follow us on Twitter at AustinISDPL. Until next time, stay safe, my friends.